One of the Psalms that we were led to read was Psalm 88. That's the place I want us to hang out for a little bit today as we deal with this question, what do we do with anxious sorrow? Take a look at it. Psalm 88, verse 1, begins like this. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. So it kind of starts like we would assume most of the Psalms tend to start. You, he sees God as his savior. He's, he's crying out to God. But what tends to happen next in a Psalm is we bring our problems. We bring our struggles Watch where this goes. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. Anybody feel that this week? My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your fullness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? Okay. That's trouble. I mean, that, that is obviously tough stuff. But what we know when we read the Psalms is that now is the time that we tend to find hope. I often equate reading the Psalms often to like riding a roller coaster. Now, I like roller coasters, all right? And when you tend to start on a roller coaster, you, you, you leave the, the loading right dock and you, it's just smooth for a minute. Usually, your face then turns towards the heavens. That's what we tend to see in the beginning of a Psalm. And then into the valley, right? Into the pit. You know the bottom is about to drop out and, and you feel the force of, of what you're experiencing. But then with a roller coaster, what do you do? You, you climb out again and then you breathe. Here we go. Verse 13. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me? And hide your face from me. From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me, friend and neighbor, darkness is my closest friend. (laughs) 
if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, right? It's like, what? The Psalms are filled with prayers of suffering people. They go through the darkness. But typically in the Psalms, there, it, it, it ends with some glimpse of hope, except two. There are two Psalms, Psalms 39 and Psalm 88. And in both of those Psalms, the roller coaster never climbs back out of the pit. In Psalm 39 and in Psalm 88, there is no hope in the end. It ends literally in darkness. The last Hebrew word of Psalm 88 is darkness. So literally, the phrase would read this way, my closest friend is darkness. Done. Song over. Wow. But can't we at least admit, sometimes, that's what it feels like. Now, what is the darkness? I mean, three times darkness is mentioned in this psalm. What is the darkness that, that the writer here experiences? Well, for one, he mentions what I'm going to call betrayal, right? That, that, that all of his closest friends are against him. I mean, some, some of us, maybe you've, you've experienced that from a spouse. Betrayal. Or, or maybe it's children who have, in a way, neglected, right? What else does he experience? Well, it says that he, he's trapped. He, he uses this language of, of he's confined and he can't escape. It, it, it kind of cracked me up reading that this week. I mean, it's like that, that's how some of us are beginning to feel. But what he's going through, it, it is certainly more than a quarantine. It's this idea of feeling trapped in life. There is no escape. It, it could be something in a relationship. It could be financial. It could be health issues that you, that you feel trapped. He also mentions fear. He mentions the word terror multiple times, describes it like a flood that is just overwhelming him. He talks about wrath that is against him. He talks about being close to death. And then certainly, last but not least, loneliness. He feels as though everyone has left him alone, and you can hear it, even God. So I'm okay if right now you're asking the question, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? I mean, it's like you almost want to go, is this supposed to be in the Bible? Because how in the world does something like this help us? Well, not only do I believe that it is absolutely supposed to be in the Bible, but I also believe that there is something that we learn from Psalm 88. It is something that every person who becomes a follower of Jesus needs to know sooner rather than later. Here's the first lesson. The first truth is that a Christian can be in darkness for a long time. <laughs> If you're taking notes, which I'm sure you are today, if you're taking notes, I would say it may be safe that you have never written those words as a part of notes that you've taken in church before. I would say that's probably not what they said to you when they were trying to convince you to follow Jesus. When they were trying to convince you to follow Jesus, it was probably more like turn to Jesus the Savior and he can fix it all. 
That's true. But so is this. He can fix it all. But this is also true. And what most of us know is that, okay, we don't like darkness, but we can deal with the outer darkness. What I mean by outer darkness is we can deal with the circumstances of darkness around us, whether that's financial or it's relationships or it's health, whatever it is. We can deal with the darkness around us as long as inwardly we have this sense of God's presence and God's love. But in Psalm 88, that is not what's happening here. It is obvious from the psalmist's words that he believes that God has abandoned him and his conclusion is there will always be darkness. Listen to me. You can be faithful and things not get better for a long time. You say, okay, this really is weird, Jeff, if you're trying to encourage me. And you know what? Jesus should have told us this. Like, Jesus should have told us that if we were faithful, right, that, 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 that there would be some times. Well, you know what? He did. The truth is he did. It's just not where we tend to focus, right? In, in John chapter 16, verse 33, see if this is clear enough for you. This is Jesus. To us, in this world, you will have trouble. We just, we just kind of glance past that one. No, he said in this world that there are going to be struggles. In, in John chapter 15, he said, those of you who follow are not greater than the one who leads. And he says, if he, the one who leads, endures persecution, then you know what? There are going to be times that we who follow, we endure persecution. In Luke chapter 21, it is true. There is a place that Jesus says, not one hair of your head will perish. But it's connected to two verses right before when he warns them that their closest relatives are going to betray them and that some of them will lose their life. He said it. He said it a lot. It just tends to be not the place that we hang out very often. There is a line in the old movie, The Princess Bride, that goes like this. Life is pain, Highness. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Well, I have come to tell you today, the Bible is not selling something. And the truth is that biblical Christianity is realistic. It is. If you think that walking with God means that bad things can't ever happen to you, it is the evidence that you haven't actually read the entire story of God. Next time somebody says that to you, hey, if you'll just be faithful to God, you won't have to worry about anything bad happening to you. I'm giving you permission. This could be your response. You look them square in the eye and you go, no, that's not true. Because I know somebody better than me, and I know somebody better than you. His name is Jesus. He was rejected. He was tortured. He was killed. And he told us the truth. In this world, you will have trouble. It's one thing to go through struggles and the pain that you experience in the struggles 
But when you walk through those struggles with false expectations, like if I'm just faithful to God, then I'll never have any trouble, that makes the pain exponentially greater. This psalm, Psalm 88, is merciful to us in a way that it tells us the truth. Sometimes there is darkness and a Christian even, one who sees God as Savior, a Christian can sometimes be in darkness for even a long time. There's a second lesson, though. This gets better. The second lesson is the darkness is often the best place to learn about the grace of God. The darkness is often the best place to learn about the grace of God. Now, when I read Psalm 88, there's a part of me that when I hear the psalmist say those things, it's like, ugh, like, we, we, like I don't know if you should be saying that. In fact, I'm pretty sure you, you shouldn't be saying that to God because although it is a prayer, this prayer I would categorize in part more like what I'm going to call interrogation. It really is. Listen to the questions again that the psalmist raises to God. Do you show wonders to the dead? Is your love declared in the grave? Is your faithfulness declared in destruction? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can I tell you, all of that is sarcasm. He is absolutely being sarcastic. It's this picture of, God, I want to tell the world how great you are. God, I want to be on this mission for you. But if you don't answer my prayer and you don't, if I'm dead, what good is that? The psalmist is very close to just, God, answer me. Certainly not a prayer of thy will be done. He is not respectful to God. But not only is there interrogation, but there's what I would call exaggeration. Because when you hear the longer this psalm goes, you start to hear the language of since my youth, all of my life, God, you have never been there for me. Well, that's not true. That's not true. But our tendency is that. Our tendency is that in fear and in despair, we tend to read all of life in light of the moment that we're going through. If you just look at the last line again of this psalm, right? My closest friend is darkness. What is he saying to God? He's saying, God, darkness is a better friend than you are right now. Wow. Why would God let that in the Bible? Why would God let someone speak to him that way and then actually record it? What does the presence of Psalm 88 in the Bible tell us about God? Well, here's one thing it tells us. It tells us that he understands how we react in times of darkness. Jeff, how do you know that? Because it's in there. I'm saying he put it in there. 
God put this in there. He knows. He, he understands. He knows how a guy like me sometimes lets things come out of my mouth when the pressure is on, when, when the darkness is real. He knows how sometimes I say things. He knows how sometimes we react. He is not a God who is out of touch. He understands how we react in the darkness. But there is something more remarkable. It also tells us he is still our God of grace in the darkness. What God is saying when he prints Psalm 88 in scripture, right? When he allows it to be there, here God is saying, I am the God of this man, even though this man is not getting it right right now. I am the God of this man. Not because every day he gets up and he puts on a happy face, even when there's darkness and he pretends like everything's cool. I am not his God because he does everything right. I am his God because I am a God of grace. And you act like you act. And I'm still here. I have learned so much more about God's grace in the darkness than I ever have in prosperity. The darkness is often the best place to learn about the grace of God. There's a third lesson I want us to get to. The darkness is often the best place to become a person of greatness. The darkness is often the best place to become a person of greatness. When I hear what the psalmist says in Psalm 88, it reminds me a lot, those questions, they remind me a lot of a guy named Job. Now, we'll get, we'll get to Job's story when we read the entire story. But it reminds us a lot of Job. There is this conversation that happens in the book of Job, a conversation between God and the enemy, Satan. And God is pointing out the righteousness of Job, and Satan then makes a statement that goes like this. Does Job really love God for nothing? Does Job really love God for nothing? What, what, is, what is that question about? Well, Job is being accused by the enemy of, of having what, what we could call a contractual relationship with God. What, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Satan is saying, Job doesn't really love you, God. He's just with you because you benefit him. God, the reason Job is who he is is because you bless him, God. The truth is he really loves himself, and he's just using you because he loves himself. You benefit him, God. If, if you took away the benefit, if you took away the blessings, if Job was in darkness, he would curse you. A contractual relationship. Come on, you've, you've had those at some point in your life if you've had very many birthdays. I've had those in my life. I mean, I thought they liked me but they were really just after something, and when I didn't give them what they wanted, then they left, right? You know. 
Well, in a way, what Satan accuses Job of, what Satan accuses me of, what he accuses you of, he's right. Because to some degree, I would say that any of us who have come to God, we tend to start out with God in a contractual relationship. Now, I'm not saying that you didn't believe in God. I'm not saying that you didn't come to him by faith. But but I'm saying you needed something from God. That there was something perceived that that you needed God to fill or to fix. That there was something you needed. And the point is, if we stay in that mindset... There is still this self-centeredness. And so what happens is you talk about living on a roller coaster, your whole life becomes this roller coaster where as long as things are good, then you're praising God and he's great. But then when things go sideways, all of a sudden it's God, are you there? God, why aren't you doing this? God, why did you do this? God, why don't you love me? And our prayers can become similar to Psalm 88 That's what Job's prayers were like. But there's an interesting statement that God makes at the end of Job's story. God says, Job honored God. He says, Job honored him. Now, the question is, uh, how? How did Job honor? Because when you read Job's prayers, they sound a lot like Psalm 88 prayers. There's prayers of anger. There's prayers of complaining. But the key is they are prayers to God. And even though Job had lost everything, he never turned from God. Was he angry? Yes. He told God. Like, was he complaining? Yes. But, he, but, he, but when there was nothing, he stayed. When I'm not getting anything out of this, but I'm staying with you, God, that's what happens in Job's life. That's what happens in Psalm 88. The psalmist is still praying. It's in the darkness that we tend to learn how to lose the transactional approach. It's in the darkness when God asks questions to me like, are you serving you or are you serving me? And when I choose to serve him, something changes in my life. That I no longer have to live on this crazy roller coaster ride of when things go bad, God, why, why don't you care? No, when I see the grace of God and I choose to serve Him, what, what happens is I begin to become a person of stability, a person of strength, a person of greatness. The darkness is often the best place to become a person of greatness. That's even what we see in Psalm 88. And we see it as we look at the last lesson. The darkness is relative and it is temporary. Now, here's what I mean. When the psalmist is writing in Psalm 88, he is not saying, hey, I feel like God's not there, but I really know he's there. Nope. He's not saying this is objective. He, he is declaring this is objective. God is not here. God has abandoned me. It, it, not only, I'm not asking are things going to get better anymore. I know that things aren't going to get better anymore. This is absolute darkness. It, it, is, it is not relative and it is permanent. 
but we see it differently. God was there, and he was working, and it was temporary. How do we know that? Well, it's interesting that when you look up at the very top of Psalm 88, there's often a heading that is given there, a little bit of description, and we are told in the heading of Psalm 88 that the writer of this psalm is a man named Heman. And if you go to 1 Chronicles chapter 6, you will find Heman listed as one of the worship leaders that David chose to, to lead in the temple, to lead the people in the worship of God. Heman actually wrote several psalms. Um, if you go to the 40s, like Psalm in the 40s and Psalms in the 80s, you, you will find many of those that Heman wrote. I want you to consider that even for people who, you know, don't believe that the Bible is God's word, there are most people on the planet that when they look at the Psalms, they will declare them some of the greatest literature ever written. So I want you to consider that Heman wrote some of the greatest literature that the world has ever known. How did that happen? It's like the pressure that turns coal to diamond. God was there in the darkness. And the darkness seemed permanent, but it was really temporary. And Heman ends up becoming an incredible artist. Do you really think when he wrote Psalm 88 that he expected that 2,500 years later we would be talking on a day like today and we would be looking at his words? No, he couldn't see it. He's in the darkness. He, he can't see it, but we can. We can see it. God was working. This was temporary. Get this. In the darkness, God was doing something with his life that would be used to strengthen people long beyond his life. And you can know that too. When God is your savior. You say, I don't know how to know that. Well, I think it's interesting that the two psalms, the two psalms that do not climb back to hope, the, the two psalms that tend to end right in the valley, Psalm 39 ends with language about God's face turned away. God's face turned away. In Psalm 88, it ends with the word darkness. Now, I want you to think about that. God's face turned away and darkness. Does that sound familiar? Let me remind you, on this most incredible week that we are entering, the text is Matthew chapter 27, and this is how it reads in verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and I'm, I'm just going to go to here's what he said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
darkness and the face of God turned away. Do you understand that Jesus was in total darkness? Heman thought he was in total darkness. Jesus was completely abandoned. The, the abandonment that Heman thought he experienced. Jesus did receive the entire wrath of God, the, the sin of the world. God's wrath poured out upon it. See, the enemy really is correct about us. We, we really are selfish. We, we really do use others at times for ourselves. We really do deserve for the face of God to be turned away from us. And we do deserve eternal darkness. But the great news is all of that, all of that fell upon Jesus instead. And in that darkness and in that wrath, in that abandonment, he did not abandon us. Jesus experienced the darkness alone so that you and I can know in the darkness, Jesus never leaves us alone. He was truly abandoned so that we only feel the abandonment, but we can know that he really is still there. The truth is it all fell upon Jesus, but he did not abandon us. And we have a hope beyond all hope. And no matter what happens to us in this life, no matter what the darkness is in this life, he is with me. And he is working. And he is good. And even if life ends in darkness, for we who follow Jesus, there is a blessed hope beyond. Remember the question, the sarcastic question that the psalmist asked to God, right? Do the dead rise up and bless you? We who follow Jesus answer with a loud, resounding, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Because when we take our last breath in this life, we, we are not done. We are with the one who has always been with us. What, whatever we are facing, right, it will ultimately be fixed by the resurrection. And in the next world, there will be no more darkness. For now, it means that sometimes in the life of us who follow Jesus, sometimes darkness happens and you may not always understand why and it doesn't always mean you're lost and it doesn't always mean you've strayed so what do we do what do we do with the anxious sorrow I think God put Psalm 88 in there for a reason, and a part of that reason is to know that you can take it to him. In the Bible, it's called lament. To lament is to ask why, and there be silence. <laughs> to lament is, is, to, is to struggle what is going on, and there not be an immediate answer. 
part of me this week thought, I don't know if people would actually do this or not. Like, I don't know if anybody would actually sit down and, you know, pen and paper, actually write out, God, here's what I'm angry about and here's what I'm frustrated with right now. God, here's what I'm feeling. I don't know if we do that. I don't know if somebody would sit down and just type out, right, something to God that says, God, here, here's, here's really where I'm at. I don't know if we would do that. And then I suddenly realized, sure we will. Sure we will. We just tend to do it with one another. We just tend to tell everybody else our frustration. We tend to tell everybody else what we're angry about, right? And there's nothing wrong with being able to confide in some folks that you trust. There's, there's nothing wrong with having people close. But I'm telling you, there's nothing like taking that to God, the God of grace, who says, I'm still with you. And in the darkness, you learn. Sometimes this lasts for a while. But it's often the best place to learn about the grace of God. It is often the best place to become a person of greatness. And it is relative. It is temporary. Because we have a God who is good, even when life is not. Let me pray for you. God, such an unusual text. God, not normally a place we go (laughs) anytime to read the words of the psalmist and to hear his, his despair, to hear his anger, to hear his questions, God, there's, there's a part of that that uh, in a way makes us uncomfortable. God, just the nervousness of, of being that honest and saying those things to you, and yet there's the other part of us, God, that when we're really honest and we know you already know our heart, you already know our fears. God, you know the terrors that we experience. God, you, you know our doubts. You know our struggles. God, I thank you for giving us a most remarkable song that in the most unlikely of places today, God, we can be encouraged and we can find hope. God, that we would know sometimes in the darkness, God, we're still being faithful. We're still trusting you. We're still calling out to you and and it's okay, God, that we can, you are big enough to take our our anger. You You are big enough to take our complaints. And you just keep declaring that you are our God. Not because we got it all right. But you are still our God because you are the God of grace. So God, I don't know all the right words at this moment. You do. God, you know what your people need. You know what they're feeling right now. God, you know the the struggles, God, the the anxious sorrow, and they're trying to be positive and they're trying to encourage one another and they're trying to still laugh and yet there's still that part of us. An uncertainty. God, I thank you that we can bring it to you. Even when we feel abandoned, the truth is we are not. Because Jesus, you took it all all the abandonment, all the wrath, you took it all. 
And I thank you that by your grace, through faith in you, we can be your kids. God, I pray for those who need to take that step with you. I pray for those who need to trust. God, will you give them eyes that can see? And for your kids, God, encourage them this week. Encourage them this week. You are good, even in the moments that most of life is not. It's in the name of Jesus that I thank you today.